Hello, my lovely friends. I am very excited to share today's episode with you. I spoke with Allie Christensen, who is an athletic movement specialist, and I know it's a longer episode, but I highly encourage you to listen all the way through because we touched on so many topics, including flexibility, turnout, injuries, injury prevention, and a whole different range of topics. So I really hope you enjoy today's episode, and I'll go ahead and start by letting Allie introduce herself. I'm Allie Christensen. I, I am the owner of Align Fitness by Allie. I have a physical location in Costa Mesa, California, but I also work virtually. Um, I do privates, both in-person and virtual, and I have online courses for dancers of any age or level regarding flexibility, turnout, and strength. Uh, I was a professional dancer, trained to be a professional dancer, and very early on in my career, I injured myself. I tore the labrum in my hip And I ignored the injury, which I never recommend anyone do anymore. Um, But because I ignored it, and then when at that time, the information available to dancers was just not what it is today. And even today, it still needs to be more. But 10, 11, 12 years ago, it was not good. And uh, I spent me two years trying to figure out how to help my hip. And by the time I had figured that out, thankfully, I found the right people, but it did take me two years to figure that out and how to um, rehab my hip without surgery. And that's not always the case for every dancer, but I am finding more and more that with the right movement, the right application of movement, we can get through so many injuries and so many things that uh, it's very quick to jump to surgery. Sometimes surgery is absolutely necessary, but a lot of the time I'm seeing that we can make a difference with uh, how we do our exercises and movement changes, which is really where some of my passion stems from in what I do and wanting to provide dancers with better information. I love that because as someone, I was injured and it wasn't something like I could have necessarily prevented. It was an ACL tear. So it's uh-huh. just like sudden. Yeah, it was a quick happen. That is what we call trauma. It just happened one yeah. time and, and that's it. You did something to your body. Exactly. And so even though I know that I, that's not something I could have prevented now, I take so much extra care to do everything I can to prevent injury, not only on myself, but kind of just like spread this message to other dancers that there are so many things you can be doing to prevent like those more the, like an injury like you had. I don't know what the right technical term is for that. Something that yeah, just like builds absolutely. up over time. Yeah, absolutely. So um, a couple ways to be looking at it would be that we have a traumatic injury. That would be what you did. You landed wrong or you twisted wrong and you tore something. Or if we stepped off a curb and twisted your ankle and sprained it. Um, those would be things that happen instantly. There is an injury. There's inflammation. It takes time to heal. Uh, overuse injury would probably be a good way to define what I had that then turned into a big injury. If I'd caught it uh, at the beginning, when I started to feel like a pinch in my hip, I probably wouldn't have been anything. I would have taken care of it, would have kept dancing and who knows, you know, what my dancing career would look like right now. Um, but I see that a lot with dancers. And even when we're looking at those traumatic injuries that happen really quickly, or just, we you know, one wrong step. Yes, they those happen. And I wish that I could say dancers will never have those, but we we roll off our point shoes, we slip on the floor, you land on your tailbone. Those kinds of things do happen. But the stronger we are in supporting our structure and joint, the less likely you are to have such an intense or bad injury 
when you roll your ankle or when you slip and fall. Um, you know, there's things out of our control, but I do think there's a lot we can do to help our bodies be able to bounce back when those things happen. Yeah, definitely. And, and speaking on that, should a dancer, like, when is the point when we should start considering this stuff? Is this something that as far as like strength training or looking at muscle imbalances, do we wait until something starts to bother us a little bit? Or is this something that we can just start being proactive about? You can absolutely and should be doing being proactive on this. Um, This is something that if I could have my way you would be doing would be in dance training from the moment you start dancing. Um, Of course, at an age appropriate level. So we're not, you know, a 20 year old is not going to train the way a six year old would. But if I had my way, yes, you would start incorporating this right from the beginning. Uh, lucky dancers will have a small injury that they'll take seriously and they'll come in and say, Hey, like this hurts. My hip is pinching. My knee is bothering me. We take care of it. They realize how easy it is. And then it becomes part of their life. But a lot of the time, I think we don't realize the small things that are red flags or are injuries. Um, if you're constantly sore, if you feel like you have tight hamstrings that won't release, Uh, If you have pain in your hip flexors or quote grippiness in your hip flexors, uh, if your ankles feel stiff, if your neck is always tight, these are, uh, these are things that mean we need to be strengthening something. So when we look back, a lot of dancers will say, oh, well, I haven't injured myself, meaning I haven't torn my ACL. I haven't had a sprained ankle. Uh, but when you, when I dive into it, when I start asking more questions, they'll say, oh, I'm chronically, my neck is always tight or my low back actually aches 90% of the time, or even just on and off. Those are not normal things. And we want to address those right from the beginning. So when those things start popping up, that is the first insight that you have something, an imbalance or something going on inside of your body. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's one thing that you see in the dance world is we, we think it's okay to just constantly be like sore in certain areas or have these small problems. It's, I had posted this TikTok the other day and I was just kind of being funny about it. It was like me saying, um, like one person was like, what did you get from um, your years of dance training? And one person was like, I got great posture. And the other person's like, I'm really flexible. And then it was me. And I was like, I got a bunch of hip and knee and foot issues. Yeah. And it kind of blew up. And I got all of these comments of people saying like what they got from their dance training. And it was like, I had four surgeries on my hip from this. I got my foot did this. And I was yeah. just like, so shocked at how prevalent injuries really are and how people just kind of accept it as that's just part of dance, you know? Mm-hmm. Yes, we do. We just, you know, it's, we're trained to smile through it, to push through it. Um, when you're training as a dancer, you are training to be an elite level athlete, whether you are deciding to try to go professional or you're doing it as an extracurricular, you are training to be an elite level athlete. And that means that to do it well, not necessarily to be a professional, but to treat your body well, to continue to grow and uh, see change in your body, you have to see, you have to do and see those things that need to happen outside of the studio. And our mentality of just push through it is not helping. Now, one of the issues that I totally acknowledge is that we are as dance teachers, you're in a studio with 20 kids at one time. And how do you give individual corrections to 20 dancers all the time? Uh, We also have dancers that are 
sometimes lazy. Sometimes they don't know how to push their body. They've not been taught what type of effort is good or what type of pain is bad. That's something I run into a lot is I have to explain what, what it feels like to work and what it feels like to be having uh, a pain or an injury. Uh, and that actually surprised me a few years ago when I had to start, especially as I started working with younger dancers, I had to explain that. And I was like, oh, I thought this was common knowledge. But then when I think back to it, I'm like, how many, how long did I ignore my own pain before I let things get into, you know, a, an actual injury? Or there were a couple of things when I was younger that we had to address as well. So I, I now see that we are not teaching our young ones what the difference is. And that's a big hindrance to our dance community as well. That's a really good point. I mean, so much of it is, is mental and it's like how each individual experiences mm-hmm. these things within their own bodies. And I think that's a good point about being in a class sometimes with all of these other students. It's hard for you to get that individualized feedback and to be able to ask like, hey, am I feeling the right thing? You might think that you're supposed to hurt to do your splits as bad as it does for you, but really that's not normal. Another thing is I, I get this over and over is I'll get messages that are like, hey, I need to have my splits by next whatever, like two weeks yeah. from now. What can I do to get it by then? Or like, what are some stretches you recommend? And I'm always an advocate of like, you don't need these things to happen overnight. If anyone is pushing you to have certain skills or tricks like that overnight, then they don't have your best interest in mind. Um, but I do get where they're coming from, especially dancers who do maybe like competitive dancing and they have to be able to do a leg hold turn by next week or they're cut out of the routine. So how do you approach that when someone wants something to happen quickly? Like, is it possible actually to get things as quickly as we want them as far as like flexibility? Um, Yes and no. So flexibility is something that you can change instantly, but that may not be as drastically as you would like it to. (laughs) We would all like to think that we could drop six inches in our splits in one stretch session and it would stick. Some dancers, yes. Like I've seen that happen many, many times and it's fantastic when it does. It's so exciting. But realistically, we are going to see a little bit of change. The reason, the biggest reason for that is that flexibility has a lot to do with how our brain talks to the rest of our body. Uh, If you if you can kind of think about how we have their brain, then our nervous system running down into the rest of us telling us to move and what we feel and to digest and all the things that happen, Uh, your sensations in your body come from your brain. And I don't, we don't have control. If you think, okay, I'm going to stretch and there's no pain. I'm there's no pain. We don't, we're not talking about that type of control. But there are things that we can do. And when we approach changing flexibility from a little bit more of the neurological side of things, we tend to have better results. So finding the right exercises that address the neurological system and then evidence is showing that doing active stretches uh, are going to be uh, more beneficial and stick longer than passive stretching. Um, I recently had a dancer who has been working with me for a little bit and he, he totally takes in everything I say, but he was so funny because he's asked me a ton about stretching. He's very knowledgeable in his own body and practice. And he, he gave it a try 
And he, we, we saw great results with his active stretching with these neurological things, but he said, but I feel really good when I do passive stretching. And I said, if you feel good and you see the results you want, do it fine, do it. And he came back a month later and said, so I think passive stretching doesn't work the way I thought it did. I, you know, I hit this point where I realized I don't go any farther. And the biggest changes that we've, that I've seen have come from adding in this active stretching. And one thing I always think is important for dancers to realize is it's not that passive stretching is quote bad for you. There, there is a lot of evidence that long-term passive stretching does more damage to the joints than active stretching. So you have to think we're, we can be stretching out tendons and ligaments and that stuff doesn't go back. So if you're stretching out the support system around your joints, how are you going to be doing the active sport that you do, which is dance? But when we're looking at passive stretching versus active stretching, uh, if you think about what you are asked to do as a dancer, is there any time besides if you randomly do a split on stage <laughs> that you are ever asked to do a passive stretch? The answer is no, in case you want to say yes. <laughs> the answer is no. Everything you do, you have to be holding your body. If you are standing and lifting your leg above your head, even with your hand, you have to have the muscular support to be able to stand and pull your leg up, even if you're using your arm. Grand Ronde de Jambe, leaps, extensions, these are all things that require strength in a range of motion. So you're going to see better results if you find the right active stretches and the right combination of things together when you're looking to make a change in your flexibility. That brings to mind, I get asked a lot, like for specifically, I don't know why people want their middle splits. They're like, please mm -hmm. do a tutorial for your middle splits. And I haven't done it. And part of me just thinks like, you need to ask, why do you want that? that flexibility in the first place like what is that doing for you because I don't see any practical application for you having a flat middle split um, other than maybe that's just like a transition movement you're doing in your choreography and so I think that's part of it is you have to step back and ask like why do I want this is it because I want to be able to take an Instagram picture with my leg up in the air or is it because I know it'll help my dancing and if if you do think it is going to affect your dancing in some way like think about the approach that you're taking to that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, when I work with dancers and their extensions, um, one of the common things that I end up addressing is one, what your hip anatomy looks like, because every single person's hip is going to be different. And most of us, a very, 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 very high percentage of us are not born with hips that uh, can open all the way to the side because our hip sockets don't face directly to the side. And there is a limit, a bony limit when we are at our open second splits. For some people, that's full split over extension, it's fine. But there are some people that if you feel that restriction happening, it's because we've hit a bony limit. Now, the good news is that dance is not about being able to lay in a straddle. And I, I do recognize that now, nowadays, we are very flashy and trick driven, which is a good thing and not a good thing in my opinion, but that's a topic for mm -hmm. another day. Um, but when you're facing the audience straight on and you do a beautiful turned out develop a cone, whether that's a tilt or a straight uh, up, upper body, like in ballet, if your leg is turned out and you're straight and you're holding your body, the audience is not going to be able to tell if your leg is one inch forward from the side or if it's straight to the side. 
So most of the time, that's where you're, you're going to be. And when I'm looking at competition, um, I encourage teachers and choreographers to start thinking about what your students can do. Do you have a group of 10 dancers that have perfect turnout and can turn, you know, and get their legs straight to the side, then you should utilize that in your choreography. But if you have a group of dancers that have their legs slightly forward and they can find height when they're in front of them, don't give them choreography that has that exposes that their leg is slightly in front of them. So if you are looking at solos, if you're looking at choreography, um, now I'm not saying you should run and tell your teacher what to do, but teachers that are listening, uh, dancers that are listening, if you have the opportunity to create choreography on yourself, highlight the things that work well, don't try to do what the other Instagram person did because their body is completely different. And the things that you can do well are going to be the things that bring the audience pleasure and say, wow, if you try to be like so-and-so over here, you're not, you're, don't, you don't have that body. You don't have that a capability in the same way. You have exactly what makes you unique. And if the choreographer or yourself can utilize that, you're going to, the person who doesn't have the best flexibility is going to shine because they are thinking about that instead of trying to look like someone else. Yeah. It's definitely good to note that like, you should just play to your strengths if you can, if whether you're a choreographer trying to create a piece. I know I danced all through college and something that we did a lot in our routines was we just had like groups of people doing certain sections like the turn section maybe was only a few people and everyone else did something else because it gets it's too much stress on your brain on your body to try and get yourself to do these tricks within the next like week or two and like yeah I mean you have to evaluate what's what's really worth it long term that doesn't mean that you shouldn't be trying to do these other things you Mm -hmm. have to keep working on be working on that but if you have a competition in two weeks or you know you have a solo being choreographed right now and you're the choreographer, you can ask like, hey, I'd really like to be able to do it this way. So let's see how that goes. But here's here's how we do that. And I don't know why I thought of this, but I think So You Think You Can Dance does that re- does it really well. Because if you think that each choreographer, like they come in with the choreography and they're like, and now you're gonna do this exact thing. I, I mean, I don't know a hundred percent, but I think that's not correct. I think the choreographer comes in with the basic skeleton and the de- some of the details, but says, oh, Alex Wong, you're an amazing jumper. You, we're going to put that into the choreography. But if you had some other dancer who was a great turner, they're, instead of having them do a crazy leap and split, they're going to do turns. So when you look at the choreography, you're like, wow, these dancers are amazing. And they are, but they are definitely playing to their strengths inside of the choreography that they're given. Yeah, that, that's so true. It probably is how it is. I mean, I don't know either, but I'm sure that they're playing to everyone's I'm, ass- I'm assuming so. I, I have a couple friends, you know, people who've gone through that process. And I, I just can't imagine that in one week, you're going to say, I want you to learn how to do this crazy thing. And then everyone can do that. Yes, there are unique dancers that are like, oh, you want me to do something I've never done and flip up upside down with my leg in the air? <laughs> yes, there are those dancers. But for the most part, they are doing a really great job of playing to their strengths and giving the, the style and choreography they want with the tricks that you're good at. So mm-hmm. that was a long tangent to say, 
why are you trying to increase your flexibility? (laughs) It's it's a good point though. And that kind of even ties into what I was saying earlier about social media and the sense that you're only seeing people's strengths on social media. It's everyone's Mm -hmm. highlight reel. And so you, you don't know if someone took 10 tries to record that video of them doing a triple pirouette or whatever it is. Right. um, And you're comparing yourself to them, even though you don't know the whole background. Um, I just think it's important to recognize all of those things and just remember not everyone is good at everything and you don't know how the behind the scenes of these things. Absolutely. Okay. So we talked a little bit about turnout earlier and I want to come back to it um, because it's something that for me, for like most of my life, it never felt right. Like I realized at a certain age that in a lot of positions, I wasn't actually using muscles to hold my turnout. I was just using my knees and my ankles to Mm -hmm pretend I was turning out and and then now that I understand that where the muscles come like how the muscles are holding my turnout it makes a lot more sense and it's so much harder than I thought it would be yeah so uh, can you talk a little bit about turnout and kind of where it comes from and like do people have a set range of motion how does that all work you know we we all have restrictions but I don't think they're the restrictions that we automatically jump to. Like when we're thinking about turnout, I feel like people say, I don't have great turnout. I just don't have the range in my hips. Uh, but we have to remember or realize that turnout is a strength. Uh, it's very easy for us to think like, I'm going to stretch my frogs, my diamond, stretch out those inner thighs. And yes, that is a piece of the puzzle. But the muscles that pull the legs into turnout are in the back of the legs So turnout is a closing, a backwards closing of the muscle. And when that closing happens and that coming together, we see the front of the legs open. So what we associate with turnout is a stretching and an opening, but in fact, the action is a closing in the back of the legs. When you think of that strength with the hip, if the leg is inside of the hip and the torso is doing its job, I mean... I don't see a real big red flag that would say most people should be able to increase the strength enough that they can see that change in their flexibility. Now, this also will come into that it does depend on the shape of your hip sockets. If your hip sockets are facing more forward on the diagonal, you are physically not going to have the best, easiest ability to make a 180 turnout. And honestly, I think that's most of us. If we are from a country where they choose dancers from basically birth, they they evaluate, they look at your bones and say, oh yes, you have hip sockets that face to the side. You can be a dancer. No, Allie, your hip sockets face forward. You're gonna be a football player. So we're not given the, they're not given the, the choice and luxury as we are here in the US and a lot of other countries that we say, if you want to be a dancer, go ahead, which I think is fantastic. But we have to remember that when you're seeing these ballet dancers that have been trained from the time they're very young in countries like Russia or Japan, um, they are chosen for their hips to be a dancer. So we're looking at something very different. But turnout is a strength. If you can find the right muscles and make the right recipe of alignment, because it's not just one thing, it is about how the whole body works together then I've seen, I've seen great improvement from people that have had really bad turnout their whole life. Um, it is something, it's a strength, so it takes time. It doesn't hope it happen overnight. And 
Um, I'll always say that, unfortunately, dance class is the last place you're going to feel your good turnout because our dancer brain kicks on, your lifetime of habits kick on. Maybe you're someone who does turn out more from your knees and feet and you're trying to break that habit. Maybe you tuck your hips. Maybe you've never really used your core or torso when you are turning out. So you have a lot of things to change. And although it's when I break it down, it might sound simple. It's it's not easy. So that's, I think, a big uh, mix up in our brains is that simple recipe doesn't mean ease. But we're dancers. We work hard. That's what we're that's what we do. So when you're make, looking to make a change, you want the right recipe. And that does come from using the exercises correctly. All exercises are one, not created equal, but two, how you execute them or how somebody tells you to execute them is what makes the difference. We can have three people lined up, three dance teachers, and they're all going to say it differently. And it's going to change how you, how you use your muscles. If you had three trainers lined up, all teaching the same exercises, how they teach it and how they ask you to activate will change your results. So there are only so many exercises in the world. I think that sometimes we think the newest, flashiest, like whatever, you're like, oh, wow, I've never seen that where you have a strap and a yoga block and you're connected to the ceiling and you're flipping upside down while you try to turn out. That must be the best turnout exercise. When in fact, if you can't lay on the ground without any help from anything else and find your turnout muscle, there is no hope for you to be able to do it in this crazy atmosphere. So working on your things in the most basic, albeit sometimes slightly boring, but basic, simple way is where the work has to start. And uh, I think it's really easy to get caught up in the contraptions and how exciting a new exercise can look when you have all these extra things added on. Mm -hmm. It it really is so, it's simple when you think about it, but then applying it in class can be really hard. And I know like now I'm, I'm definitely aware of what my turnout actually is based on the muscle strength that I have. And it's like, not what I always thought it was. And now that I take, I take ballet classes in the evenings every once in a while, and I'll find myself, even though I know how I should be using it, sometimes still wanting to revert back to those habits, just because I see myself in the mirror and I'm like, oh my gosh, no, that's not my turnout. I need to like try a little harder, do a little something different. So I look better in class and that's, I like what you said about a lot of it. You're going to have to do it on your own time because your dancer brain kicks in, your comparison to other people and to yourself in the mirror kicks in. And it's just, it's so much easier (laughs) said than done. Yeah, it totally is. And you also have all these outside stimulus coming at you, what the people look like, what your image in the mirror, what your teachers are saying. So if you've been someone that has been told to pull up your whole life, we'll just use that as an example. And you have a grooved sensation and habit that happens when a teacher tells you to pull up, but you maybe you came into me and you realized, oh, this is not what I was doing. I actually feel much stronger when I do it this way. But if I say pull up and you've had 20 years or even 10 years of pulling up in A, and now you're trying to do B, saying pull your teacher saying pull up in the studio you got you're in your dancer brain you're looking in the mirror you're watching other people and now you have a habit that's kicking in so you really do have to retrain these habits when we're trying to make a change um that is why it is harder when you're older yeah it's what that's why it's the habit it's not necessarily because your body can't do it 
or you're quote old. I love when 30 year olds are like, I'm so old. (laughs) I like your body can do it. It's hard because you now have 20 years of habitual movement patterns that you have to change as opposed to the 13 year old who only has a couple years of serious ballet under their belt. And they're training these grooves that are not so deep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And with, with having different teachers, that makes me think of just a lot of times <laughs> dance teachers become dance teachers just because they've danced their whole life. They don't actually have a lot of like education and how to instruct, or they don't know enough about anatomy to give the right cues necessarily. And like, there's nothing wrong. I know that in a lot of cases, that's just how it happens for a lot of studios is they need teachers. And so someone who used to dance here becomes a teacher and that's okay. Um, But as far as like some misunderstandings that you see a lot, what would some of those be like in terms what comes to mind for me, I think I'm explaining this weirdly is like, closing your ribs or like using your core. I think teachers don't know how to explain it properly. And like, for me, even I was told so long, just like close your ribs and belly button to your spine. Mm -hmm. What can we actually do that will improve your core strength? And how can we think about it? Not in those terms. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's difficult because, so I didn't go to college to teach dance or to do what I currently do. Everything has been, um, I don't want to say self-taught, but self-sought out. So I've done a lot of courses and certifications, but people ask me like, what, you know, where did you go to college? Did you study? What did you study? And I'm like, I didn't go to college for this. I have been in those shoes where I was a dancer that when I was 17, 18, 19, I was teaching at a small studio. I was the director of, you know, a a little company. And I knew, I think back then I knew my words were powerful. And I always tried to come up with new analogies because I, because I realized everyone learns differently. What works for one person doesn't work for the other. So I do think that that has always been part of my awareness, even before I knew anything about what I know now is that as the teacher, you want to be trying to come up with new things to say. And sometimes they fail, they flop. You're like, well, that was not good. (laughs) And then sometimes it's gold. And you're like, I'm going to remember that one. And I'm going to throw out those three things in a row trying to do that. If your teacher is not doing that, I think it's your responsibility as the dancer to try to come up with a different cue. And that is hard. That's really hard because you, as the student, or I, as a student, don't exactly know what I'm trying to create. So I know that that's difficult, but I think that's a good way for a dancer to be starting to seek out other information. If your teacher says the same thing, every single class, it's probably time for you to start thinking of other ways to think about this. Um, When we're looking at like the torso and kind of that pull up or pull the belly button back, what I, what I, think happened is there was one teacher that said this and it worked. However, they said it, they probably didn't say belly button back to the spine, but however they said it worked and it was great and it was insightful. And then hundreds of thousands of other dancers started repeating the same thing without knowing. And it's like a game of telephone. So I bet that the first person that said, pull your belly button back to your spine was spot on. The telephone game that has happened has just diluted it and it's become, um, 
it's become, I don't even want to say an action. It's like a stiffness that we create. Like we pull in and we try to get like stay pulled in and sucked in. Um, the problem, there's few problems with that, but I think the major one is that you are creating a position. It's not a movement and it's not engaging the whole torso or trunk to support you. So um, it commonly gets pushed into looking skinny or trying to pull up so much that you look a certain way. A dancer who doesn't quote, look the skinniest because of how they're pulling their belly button back to the spine and is doing proper interabdominal pressure is gonna be able to apply the technique and do the balance, the trick, the whatever better than the dancer who's sucking their gut in, but may look a little bit quote skinnier. So when you're trying to make that change in your torso, I would start to think, do I feel like I have support all the way around? And again, I recognize that you, the student trying to create a sensation you've never felt before is difficult, but there are people in the dance world that are explaining it well, or we're getting better at it. Um, you know, pop over to my page. I'm not saying I'm the best, but I know that I know that what I'm saying works off of all of the people that are telling me, wow, that changed my changed my dancing. Uh, I always say I reserve the right to change my mind. And I because I do change my mind, like I said, I'm constantly learning. And whatever I said a year ago, some of the things have been the same for a few years, but sometimes I realize I could say that better. Like that's not exactly what's happening. I could say that better and I work to change it. Um, and then Sometimes I realize that was terrible. Why were you telling people that, Allie? Uh, but it's because I'm, you know, I'm constantly learning. So what I say is based off of my own education and my experience with dancers' feedback, like yourself, that say this this works. This changed my dancing. Um, there's a lot of other. There are I don't want to say a lot. There are people in the dance world that are starting to speak up. I think PTs. We're starting to see more. PTs in the dance world who are saying, if you, these are the types of things that we want to be focusing on, um, chiropractors, sports medicine people, and then a few, you know, a few trainers are popping up. So we're, there are people out there to help you. Uh, you just have to find the right person that you click with and, uh, kind of follow that, that groove and pathway. And remember that you're not going to make a change overnight as much as we want to, because you are somebody who has a habit and a habit takes time to change. I find that we, when we're younger, we don't want to speak up and ask like, or say, I don't understand what you mean when you say engage your core. Mm -hmm. You just accept it and you're, you just do what you think is right, but you don't question how should that actually feel. And you said something earlier about, um, we're trying to find like a position, not actually doing a movement. And I think that's what a lot of us have been taught is, figuring out how to like secure your ribs and your core and your shoulders in a certain way and just getting it in that placement, so to speak. Yeah. But you're, you're not figuring out how to use the muscles to hold it all together. Cause that's really what it is. It's not just like a static motion. It's you engaging everything to hold yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And the way that your body moves when you're, you're standing in first versus how your body holds and support itself when you're in arabesque are different. And if you are maybe thinking the same cues or kind of the same feeling as first and arabesque, they're completely different motions. Um, 
the way that you support and connect your rib cage or close your ribs, as we hear a lot, is different when you're standing in first as it is an arabesque. But when we create a support system that you work on outside of the studio, that cross-training aspect, when the support system is there, you make yourself a nice concrete base that can support movement. The movement can be done on top of that base in any way because you have a foundation. If your foundation is sinking mud, like a pool of mud, you try to do something in a weird back bend position, you're going to sink into the mud and not have the support. So when you think about how you use your body in these movements, it really is about having the support system there that you don't realize is there. Or you, I think you as, as a dancer who now does that will realize a difference, but it's not like you walk around. So I always talk about um, when you're using weights, especially there's a certain amount of tension you want to have in your core uh, so that you can support yourself and the weight, whatever. And I kind sometimes I'll call it like the Hulk sensation, mm-hmm. but you're not going to get into ballet class and give me an arabesque with your Hulk sensation turned up hundred percent. It's not possible, but because you worked outside of the studio and you know what it feels like to support your body at say your hundred percent, when you subconsciously get into ballet class, your body will support itself without you thinking about it. And that is what great cross training should do for you. Mm -hmm. So what kinds of changes in terms of like how studios are run or how company leaders are seeing their, their ballet programs, like what kind of changes do you think are needed more at the institutional level in terms of like education or kinds of programs that we can be implementing, like cross training, that kind of thing? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, mean, I think there's a lot of things, but I think some of the, the major things would be uh, dance teachers being more okay, acknowledging injuries uh, and saying, okay, this is where you're going to go. We're going to send you somewhere. So the studios and the teachers having relationships with PTs and trainers that um, can assist <clears throat> and a good a good system would be that you're not then spending the rest of your life in PT, that you go and learn the tools, then you go to a trainer that helps you implement the tools, and then you're applying those into the studio. So having that system set up would do a lot for studios. And the studios that I work with and the ones that I'm seeing across, you know, the U.S. or the world, the ones that have those systems implemented, their dancers are returning to dance faster. They're staying out of injuries longer. Their injuries are less. Um, and their dancers are able to compete at higher levels when they take the time to let them, I don't want to say let them be injured, but let them say, I hurt. What do I do? Um, another thing is I see a lot of dance teachers try to kind of diagnose and I'm a trainer, so I'm not trying to diagnose you either, but, um, a, a dance teacher who does not have a background in other types of movement or anatomy or a PT, you can't say to your dancer, Oh, you have tendinitis. You on average don't know what tendinitis is. And did you know that a lot of the time when you feel like you have tendinitis in your Achilles, it's not tendinitis. So, the dance teachers, I think, need to be a little bit more aware of what they say, because what you say affects your dancer. It's scary to be told 
you have, especially the first time you hear, oh, you have Achilles tendonitis and they're feeling this sensation and the dancer is freaking out. It's a simple fix. And like I said, in this example, I would say half the time when people come to me with tendonitis, it doesn't end up being tendonitis. So um, getting, you know, being able for those dance teachers to send them to the doctor or PT and then send them down the line to the trainer and things. It's not the dance teacher's job to give them what's wrong with them. They need to send them to the appropriate place to get that taken care of. Um, and then let's think, I, I, I believe strongly in the studio setting up a cross training program. Um, I know it's extra, but dance studios work their kids a lot. They do. I mean, we're, we're the sun at the minimum. I feel like dancers are dancing three hours a day and uh, four, four days a week and sometimes seven days a week. And most of the time more uh, you can, you can have two hours of cross training in. And again, it will do so much for their dancers if they just took the time to have a good training. I would recommend you not have your jazz teacher teach the conditioning class get somebody who has the background. You would not bring in a, you would not bring in a tap teacher to teach ballet because they don't have the education or the prerequisites for it. So when you are setting up your conditioning classes, look for somebody who can, who has those prerequisites, who understands what the goal is. Not The goal is not to have a six pack. The goal is not to have toned quads. The goal is not to have chiseled arms. The goal is to move efficiently, to lessen injury, and to be a better mover. So that does not always look the way we want it to in cross-training. It doesn't always mean that we're doing little repetitive, tiny movements. Um, sometimes, yes. But uh, if you keep the goal in mind, you should see that your dancers start excelling. And uh, too often, I see conditioning classes that the dancers don't seem to be making any leaps in their injury prevention or in their actual strength. So finding the right conditioning uh, teacher or application will be huge for your performance quality and the level of your dancers. I think we, we covered a lot of ground here today. I'm glad that we got to touch on so many topics, but we'll probably have to do a part two one day because there's so much more that, that I would love to talk about. Um, is there anything that you've been thinking about recently that you want to leave with the audience any like last tips or revelations you've been having? <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, I'm always thinking of things. Um, recently I have been thinking about kind of what are the steps of movement and what can I be doing better to assist my dancers, both in person and in my virtual classes and trainings to implement their training more and kind of what I'm, this is still kind of coming together. So I, I can't reserve the right to change my mind. <laughs> but uh, what I've been thinking is that we're kind of looking at this like three steps where we're talking about, we learn a movement, you, you learn a tendu, then you make it stable. You figure out how to stand on your leg and, you know, move through that tendu well. And then we add the power, then it turns into a, a jeté or something. That same thing applies in cross training. And this is where I see the, the box or the stuck. We learn a movement, sometimes we stabilize it. And then I don't see very many people putting the power behind the movement. So that's, I think what I've been really thinking about as I've in the last year, I've launched a Dancer Strong program um, that is a program designed for dancers to take 
through those three steps and spend most of the time in that power range. Uh, so I see a lot of training programs, online things, um, and it's just easy for us to get stuck kind of in the stability range where, and it's stability is important, but you can be stable, but if you can't move into the next thing, if you can't move with power or grace, then you're, you're still not getting that whole element of a dancer or mover. So I, I think that we need to be thinking more about how we add that next level, uh, to finish off our cross training. So hmm. that's what I've been thinking about. I like that. That's super interesting. And, and you brought it up a little bit, but tell us um, what kind of programs that you have, like where people can find you and access these resources. Yeah. So I'm pretty much across the internet at Align Fitness by Ali. So my website, Align Fitness by Ali, uh, you can find me on Instagram at the same handle, YouTube, YouTube is a great place to find more information for full length videos uh, that I'm breaking down concepts and ideas and things that you might be working on or hearing in the studio and how I think about them or apply your cross training. Instagram has tons of videos on there. Um, and then I have online programs that are, I mean, they're for we're getting towards everything, but mm -hmm. my turnout course is there, I have a flexibility course, and this does focus on that neurological and uh, active strength. So if you're somebody that feels like you have been working on flexibility for a long time and not seeing great results, if it's not sticking, uh, if you feel like your hamstrings are chronically tight, your hip flexors are chronically tight, this would be a great program to look into. There's a mini version and a full version, so kind of something for everyone. And then I have my Dancer Strong program, which is kind of my baby and I'm really proud of because I want to be able to give dancers all over the world information and help. And that's the biggest thing that I feel on, on Instagram is I get, I mean, hundreds of messages a month of people asking, what can I do? What can I do? What can I do? And I, one, don't physically have all the time to offer each person, but two, I, you saying my, you know, my hip hurts that's not enough information for me to actually help you. So going, I wanted to create a strength program that was something that took you through the major elements of dance, as well as cross training. So tying together that cross training experience with why do these things help you in the studio? Why are we thinking about alignment or extension or jumping this way? And it's something that's short and sweet. The workouts are 20 minutes a day ish, depending on how slow you move. <laughs> and, um, they're meant, they're meant to make a habit. We talked a lot about that today that we have to retrain and regrain those habits and habitual movements. This is a way that I feel is making a big difference. So I'm really excited that this is coming up on its year anniversary. We have some, I have some changes, some good changes coming to the program coming up. So if you're interested in that, you can check that out on my website. And I'm always available for questions on Instagram. If you want to reach out to me, tell me you heard me here. And uh, if you have any questions, I'm happy to answer them there. Awesome. I'm glad you explained it because I would not have done it all justice. And, <laughs> and so I'll make sure to put links in the show notes so that everyone can go and find you. Um, Thank you so much. Awesome. This was wonderful. I'm sure everyone is going to find these insights really valuable. Hopefully they'll stop asking me. They won't stop asking me the same questions, <laughs> but now I can at least point them. I'll say, go listen yes. to this episode. Yes, I do find the podcast. Oh, that's the other thing. I also have a podcast. Um, it, for this reason, I wanted to be able to assist dancers with deeper information. So that one's called Beyond the Point. 
And I do have a new season launching probably about the time that this episode is airing. Um, so you can check that out. But I, that's why I started a podcast because I, there were so many questions that I wanted to answer deeply that doesn't do justice with my thumbs typing on Instagram in one paragraph. And I was like, I can give you so much better information if I just record some of this stuff. So that's what my podcast is all about and uh, bringing in other people that have more knowledge in different areas than myself and uh, creating information that I wish I had had when I was the dancer. Good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah. Yes. I, I love, I think I've listened to pretty much all of them at this point. So I'm excited <laughs> for the next season. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for having me. And that wraps up today's episode. Hope you guys enjoyed it and found it valuable. Make sure that you check out all of the links down below to see Ali's content. And if you're interested in working with her, make sure you visit her website, but I hope y'all have a wonderful rest of your day. Bye.